And welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily Miami Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, R.M. Layton, and it's been a wild two days. I mean, the whole season's been wild, so what do you expect? But the game gets canceled yesterday, or postponed, if you will, due to the Mets, since the tables have turned. The Mets had two positive COVID cases, uh, reportedly one player, one member of the organization. Nothing to do with the Marlins, but of course, we know that The league has to err on the side of caution, which means the Mets are out of action today, but the Marlins start a five-game series against the Nationals. And I'll be honest with you, this is going to be a really tough series for the Marlins. If you think the Mets series was tough, I know the Marlins get their reinforcements in this set against the Nationals, but five games against a team that really needs to get going. This is really the Nationals' opportunity to turn their season around. They're starting to hit their stride a little bit. Juan Soto has been on fire. And now they run into Patrick Corbin, who loves to face the Marlins. He's 3-0 with a 1.55 ERA and 165 batting average the Marlins have against Patrick Corbin. That's going to be a tough matchup for the Fish. I believe it's Daniel Castano making the start for the Marlins. He had his best outing in his last start against the Braves. We'll see if he can build on that because the Marlins will very much need him to in this ball game. as we're going to assume that Corbin's going to continue to do what he's done best and it's pitch against the Marlins. I don't think he has better numbers against any other team in the major leagues. The question with the Marlins is, will there be any rust with some of these guys that have been out for a little bit? Because this is the first time the Marlins have a lineup that looks really good from top to bottom, right? It's just came out about 20 minutes ago. As I'm recording this at about 3 p.m., it's set to be a 6 o'clock start for the Marlins. And the lineup at the top looks relatively the same, except Cervelli batting third is interesting, to say the least. I know he's been very good situationally. I just don't know if I'd put Francisco Cervelli in the three spot of my lineup. That being said, I talked about it in other episodes about how we could very often see Cervelli and Alfaro both in the lineup if Cervelli continues to hit like he is. And that's exactly what we see today is Alfaro's batting fifth and DHing. He's been a candidate for a lot of people that uh, to really break out this year. And he looked great in the exhibition games. So it was really tough to see him go down. Now he's back. Of course, you get Miguel Rojas back, which is massive. He was on a tear in that Philly series. I believe he comes into the game hitting 700 with this matchup against Corbin. Then... The other huge part of this, which I probably should have mentioned in the open, is Jesus Sanchez is making his debut. And not only is he making his debut, I love where Don Mattingly has him in the lineup here. He puts him eighth, which, why does that matter? I'll tell you why. Normally, I hate having young guys batting eighth when you have a pitcher batting behind them because they're not going to see as many pitches to hit. Guys will pitch around him a little bit more. You don't want that. Now with this lineup, you could make the case that the guy you want to walk the least, the way it's set up here, is probably Jesus Sanchez. Because then you have Miguel Rojas batting ninth, who is, if we're assuming, continues to hit the way he was hitting early in the season. Then it turns back over to the top of the order where Jonathan Villar and Jesus Aguilar, who's the most feared hitter in this lineup right now, turns back over to them. 
you don't want to put Sanchez on for Rojas, Villar, Aguilar, and then Cervelli and Anderson. You're going to go right after him. And that's what Jesus Sanchez needs. He's a fastball hitter. He likes to attack. He doesn't walk much. He actually has improved upon his plate discipline in the last season and a half, especially when he came over to the Marlins. The walk rate steadily has increased in his minor league career. Strikeouts are never going to be a massive issue for him, though I do have some fear that he will struggle at times to catch up to some higher velocity. That was always a fear through the minors. But some of the tweaks that he's made, which I'll get into, should help him with that. I really do believe, and I'm saying this with confidence, did not say it with Lewis Brinson, didn't even say it with Monte Harrison, even though I really wanted to see him get a chance in the bigs. He got his chance, but I was always a little bit skeptical as to whether he would be able to consistently hit the ball at the major league level. I truly believe Jesus Sanchez is here to stay. I don't know if he will be removed from the lineup for the remainder of this year. I think the Marlins will find a spot for him because I truly do believe he has made the necessary adjustments to offset some of the concerns that he carried throughout the minor leagues. One was catching up to velocity. Another one was walking, which he improved there. And the third, which is probably the most important, is the launch angle and being able to get the ball off the ground. Because Jesus Sanchez objectively had some of the best bat speed in all of the minor leagues. And the problem for him was not hitting the ball hard. It was hitting the ball hard in the air. He had some of the best exit velocities too. But he just continued to roll over, roll over. And the ground ball rate was incredibly alarming. It goes down the second he's traded to Miami. I don't know if that's a coincidence because it is a small sample size. He only played 17 games in AAA with the Marlins. Though the ground ball rate dropped from 60%, which is terrifying, to 40 and change. That's a lot better but still needs to keep improving. We saw the home run he hit in Atlanta. I don't like to like point towards single outcomes because, as you know, in baseball, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. But with Sanchez, you got to look at the swing in that game because I went digging deep back into 2017, 2018, looking at old clips of Sanchez. And the changes are very small, but make a big impact on his ability to lift the ball. The one thing that is just the first thing that stood out to me when I go digging back, mining through some old minor league footage was he has filled out a lot more, especially in his lower half. His legs were twigs in 2017, 2018, and understandably he was a teenager. Now it looks like he's put on some more weight, especially in that lower half. And then the other thing is he's using the lower half a lot better. The clips where you see in 2017, 2018, he's a little bit more upright, though the stance would probably look similar at a quick glance. You put it in slow motion and see how it all develops as he gets into his swing, as he loads, and then gets into his swing, excuse me. There's slight differences that make a huge impact on your ability to strike the ball the right way. If you remember way back, I talked about Connor Scott and about how he was too upright and cheating, meaning that he was drifting towards the ball because he was a little bit overmatched. And when you drift forward, you're going to really lose any power you have and any leverage and end up either chasing a pitch out in front in the dirt or drifting forward and just weakly hitting ground balls, which was a huge problem for Connor Scott until last year when he really learned how to stay centered and stay in his legs. Jesus Sanchez didn't have the problem to the degree of Connor Scott where 
Connor Scott was almost finishing his swing standing up because he was drifting forward so much. It's not that way with Jesus Sanchez, but he did kind of just stay upright and not really finish any more in his legs than he had started, meaning that when he was swinging, it was almost like he was spinning like a top with his top half and the bottom half would just follow. And that's probably because he's always been able to rely on his ridiculously quick hands and the ability to just make the barrel fly through the zone. I mean, he has ridiculous bat speed, as I mentioned before. So throughout the lower levels, it probably worked fine for him to generate the power that you would expect out of a 17-year-old with his frame at the time. As you get better and as you face better competition and as home runs become more important to the type of player you're going to be, especially in a corner outfield spot, he really needed to use that lower half more. And if you look at the home run he hit in Atlanta, just because that's the best video to see the most recent example of Sanchez, he finishes that swing so much more in his legs. And some of the other home runs, even the home runs that he hit in the minor leagues, he finished a bit upright and it was just a ball that was either left up or that he golfed out of there and just pure bat speed was able to swat it out of the yard. That's just the best way I can describe it. But now he's hitting against his front side more. When you hit against your front side more, you're going to get more leverage. You're going to get more launch on the ball. And that's exactly what he needed to do. I think the power is for real. It's coming out now. You're seeing it. And he gets to work with Eric Duncan and James Rousen, who will obviously really help him hone in on that and continue to improve with hitting the ball the right way, staying centered in his body, and using his lower half rather than just relying on his incredibly quick hands. So I'm going to get into the preview of the rest of the Nats Marlins series, even though it's kind of hard to preview it at this point because you don't know who's going to be coming into the picture as more players are activated and what that's going to mean for whether they'll be used right away or eased into the lineup or guys are going to the bullpen starting rotation with Sixto called up. Does that mean Urania is going to the bullpen? There's a lot of moving parts, so I don't know exactly who's going to be pitching outside of probably the doubleheader tomorrow, and we're going to have to find out, and it's probably a very fluid situation because it'll depend how the doubleheader goes, and they're probably scrambling right now, are the Marlins. I'm sure we'll see some people activated tomorrow too ahead of the doubleheader because the Marlins are going to need as much pitching as they can get. But Richard Blyer is back, which is huge. And that's my guy. Love Richard Blyer. And the Marlins really need a reliever right now that they can count on. Blyer was that guy before his injury. I'm surprised he was able to come back so quickly. Great to see. I'm going to talk about where he fits into the picture now, especially these next couple games where the bullpen arms still have not all come back yet. But first, let me tell you about Roman ED. Yeah, that ED is typically a taboo thing to talk about, even as I'm podcasting right now. A little bit uncomfortable to talk about, but it's something that plenty of men deal with and avoid for that reason. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will help you find the best treatment plan for you. And if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it straight to your door for free with two-day shipping. And all you got to do is go to roman.com slash 
Locked on MLB, and if you're approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's roman.com slash locked on MLB. So now to the more fun things to talk about, like baseball. Back to the Marlins-Nats series. I had said going into the Mets series that if the Marlins could just pick up one of those four games, it would probably be a good thing. That would make them come out of that series over 500, with the fourth game being postponed. They drop three and are essentially swept, so to speak, even though that game will probably be made up at some point. And it's tough for the Marlins. That was the one game they might have had a decent shot at. It was going to be Seth Lugo as the opener and then Steven Matz coming in after with the Mets' disaster of a bullpen behind him. And the Marlins were probably going to pitch Daniel Castano in that one and go to the disaster bullpen too. So it would have been anybody's game. Now you go back into the Nats game, Instead, with a day off, though the day off is nice, the Marlins go into a way tougher pitching matchup. And that's the unfortunate thing in the situation here is the Marlins are set up for their skid to continue if we're being realistic. They got Corbin, who I've told you is lights out against the fish. Then they have Scherzer. The good news is Scherzer does not look like prime Max Scherzer. I'm not going to say he's slowing down yet. It's still super early in a weird season. But he did give up five earned runs and seven innings to Baltimore in his last start. The Marlins do have some scattered success against Scherzer. He's not going to be the lights-out Scherzer that you were afraid of probably in the past. That being said, still a really tough matchup. Elysia Hernandez will probably be going against Scherzer there. And that'll be a tough pitching matchup for Hernandez because he has really struggled against the Nats in his career. 0-2. 8.02 ERA in three starts, eight appearances, 21 innings. He has gotten knocked around by Washington quite a bit. So things don't line up too great for the Marlins right now. But the way this season has gone, as we know, it just doesn't matter. Things just happen that you don't expect. But still worth pointing out that it's a bit of a tough road ahead. Still, the Marlins return several bats, which will help them immensely. And I think the Marlins would still take these two tough pitching matchups with this lineup over some of the lineups they had to deploy in the past against inferior pitching because it seemed like it didn't matter who was on the mound at times. The Marlins were struggling to score runs down the stretch there against the Mets. So the Marlins will have to play five games against the Nationals. We'll see. I assume that Sixto Sanchez will be making his debut in one of these five games. You wouldn't waste the roster spot on him for him to not pitch in this five-game series. It makes sense that the Marlins called him up at this point because five straight games, including a double header. It's good to get a fresh arm in there and somebody that can really potentially pitch you a good game. I'm sure he's going to be on a pretty limited pitch count. It would probably make sense for him to pitch the second game of the double header because I'm assuming he's going to be on some sort of a pitch count. If he only goes four or five innings, then you can go to your better bullpen arms in that ball game or Eliezer Hernandez is going in game one as well. Another pitcher that for different reasons typically only goes five innings because he gets knocked around once the third the lineup comes around the third time. So both of those starts would be ideal for those two types of pitchers right now where Hernandez typically doesn't go deep into starts. Sixto is going to be limited out of the gate. Those are the two guys I would expect to throw in the double headers and it would be perfect. Sixto could easily keep the pitch count down and eat up six innings with the way he throws strikes and is able to command the strike zone. Same with Hernandez if he can keep the pitch count down. But regardless, That makes the most sense to have those guys going in those two shortened games with seven innings. I wouldn't be shocked if Sixto Sanchez makes his debut in game two of that doubleheader. And 
that's a cool spot for him because if the Marlins really need that ball game, which they do, at least one of those two games in the doubleheader, they need to split that. He has a chance to spark this team a little bit and galvanize them as Rojas will do the same and these reinforcements coming. It's a lot of energy coming back into the lineup and back into the roster. It felt like the team was just really slowing down and exhausted, especially guys like Brian Anderson and Aguilar and even Dickerson that had just been carrying the load for so long, Pablo Lopez as well, and now they have their reinforcements back. The teammates they are expecting to play this whole season with are back and should be better for the Marlins. Also worth noting that Monte Harrison and Lewis Brinson had really been just penciled in outs in the lineup, two-ninths of your lineup. So basically a quarter of your lineup almost was going over in almost every ball game except for that one game where Monte went yard and Brinson had two hits. Outside of that game, it had been just flat-out struggle for the Fish and especially for Brinson and Harrison. We'll see what the plan is for Brinson moving forward. We saw Harrison get sent down and get some time to work on things. Don't give up on Harrison. It's a much different situation than Brinson. I'm still holding out hope. He still has some room to make adjustments, and it seems more like a timing thing for him, whereas Brinson, it just seems like plate discipline and mostly just overmatched. Harrison could work on the plate discipline, but I think the timing is a big reason why his plate discipline suffers. He ends up cheating because he can't catch up to the fastball, or he ends up guessing curveball and the fastball surprises him, or vice versa, because right now all of that movement in his swing and in his setup throws him off with his timing, and he really doesn't give himself a chance to recognize pitches. I'm sure that will be something that he works on in camp in Jupiter. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It's going to be a wild five-game stretch ahead. As always, keep up at RMLateNate on Twitter and at LockedOnMarlins. We're almost at 500 followers. I believe we're right at 490. Would love to get that account going a little bit more. And I'm going to be putting some more videos out there, especially with the breakdowns of what I got into with Jesus Sanchez's swing. If that's something you would be interested in, let me know if you want me to do more of those, but over a video where I can talk about it and put it out on Twitter, maybe even YouTube. Tweet at me if you like that idea. I'll float it out on Twitter too, see what everybody thinks. But thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Enjoy this new influx of young talent again. The time has come where the young players are starting to make their way to the bigs. You got both the Sanchez's, Jesus tonight, Sixto tomorrow or the day after, whenever it is, but very soon. And it's good days ahead for the Marlins. They're still 500. If they can at least get two games out of these five, they can roll into some easier days and stay in the hunt as we start to get to the midpoint of this season. Take care and don't be afraid to swing 3-0 unless you're Jonathan VR.